in Somalia, four years is a long, long time. You can go from being the most popular to the most unpopular. Somalia is weeks overdue for a presidential election. The president's term has expired without a successor in place. An Al Jazeera reporter, Hamza Mohammed, has been watching the clock run out. This election was supposed to be a triumphant milestone for Somalia, a sign of stability. But now, that's not what's happening. Gunfire and rockets exploded in Mogadishu as Somali government forces clashed with opposition supporters angered by delayed elections. More than a dozen candidates have announced that they will no longer recognize Mohamed Abdullah Farmajo as the Somali president. Officials have pledged to investigate a protest in which at least five people were killed by security forces. This is a president who just four years ago was a new hope for the Somali people. Today, he's facing a power vacuum that threatens to collapse. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Hamza has been covering this crisis for Al Jazeera, and he's been reporting on Somalia for a decade. He's Somali himself, and he's got a lifetime of experience explaining its politics, including this latest crisis. The leader at the center is President Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed, better known as Fermajo. And Hamza has followed his rise to power. So, four years ago, it was a massive celebration in many cities across Somalia because Fermajo was elected. He was somebody that was celebrated by every corner of Somalia. Somalia is a clan-based society. He transcended the clan loyalties. And in Mogadishu in particular, young men were going out, guns in their hands, and firing onto the skies. Celebration. This was unheard of, that they were celebrating someone who was not from their clan winning the presidency. Then fast forward four years. Midnight, February 8th, young men were on their rooftops firing into the dark skies at exactly midnight, celebrating the end of President Farmajo's time. To understand why Farmajo's fortunes changed so much, we have to look at how he got to power. He had an indirect route to the presidency by way of Buffalo, New York, in the U.S. So Farmajo spent about 25 years of his life in the U.S. He used to work for the Somali embassy in Washington as a diplomat until the Somali Civil War started in 1991. And then from 1991, he moved to Buffalo, New York. Formaggio was actually working in the New York Department of Transportation, but he stayed connected to Somali politics. His father had been well-known in Somalia, and Formaggio was well-connected in the diaspora. In 2010, Formaggio went from being a local bureaucrat in the U.S. to being appointed the next prime minister of Somalia. And at that time, he was seen as a fresh breed, different kind of politician. He wasn't part of the political elite. He didn't come with a reputation that was tarnished by corruption or anything. Formaggio lasted as prime minister for just eight months before he was pushed out of the government in a political dispute. But Somalis remembered him when he ran for president in 2017. The election had problems with corruption, but gave the country its first functioning central government in years. 
Somalia's most extensive democratic exercise for decades. Six years ago, Mohammed was the prime minister with a reputation for appointing technocrats to the government. Hamza says a big part of Farmajo's win in the presidential election was his background as an outsider, and it comes out in his personality. Farmajo is not the most gifted in terms of having a presence. He seems to come across as a bit shy, not very comfortable in public, and I think this comes from his background. But to those that have met him, I've met him a few times, he seems to come across as somebody who is very genuine, somebody who deeply cares. And you can see that from how he addresses the commoners in Mogadishu. He seems to always appear to be listening hard. When people approach him, he seems to say less compared to politicians. And I think that is what won him to most Somalis. So he was inaugurated in February 2017 at the Mogadishu International Airport. And that's because it was considered the safest place in the country. His handover ceremony was overshadowed by al-Shabaab militants who fired mortar shells near the presidential palace. After months of political intrigue and several postponements, Somalia has finally made its choice. Mohammed Abdullahi Famajo, Somalia's new president. So, of course, there were a lot of security concerns at the time, but also a lot of hope. Where do you think that optimism was coming from? He was a choice for the ordinary Somali because of the promises that he was making. He was promising to reform the security sector. He was promising to push al-Shabaab out of the country to wipe them out. He was promising to compensate victims of al-Shabaab, businesses, all these things that are affected. Farmaju was saying that he was going to pay for it that the government was going to pay for it. This is unheard of. This was promises that none of the other candidates were making. So you can imagine the ordinary Somali hearing all these things from somebody that they had a huge amount of trust in from what they've seen in the six months that he was a prime minister. He showed that he could get things moving. He could get things done. So that helped him a lot. But as the next election grew closer... Hamza said Farmajo's promises came back to hurt him. I don't think anybody could have accomplished all the things that he was promising. As a former diplomat, perhaps it would have been wiser for Farmajo not to overpromise, and that is coming to catch up with him now. So, Hamza, in the last several months, there's been a growing conflict over the next presidential election, and a lot of that had to do with how the election would be conducted. So can you explain the roots of that conflict and how it came to a head this month? Somalia has a very unique way of picking its presidents. The public does not go out to the ballot to elect the president. What you have in Somalia is select group of clan elders come together. They select lawmakers, members of parliament. Those members of parliament then in turn pick the president. The president would then pick the prime minister who would then pick the cabinet. Safe to say, this system, where each leader is chosen by the others and ordinary Somalis don't vote, is a complicated arrangement. And it's complicated by design. It's a very unique system that I can't think it happens anywhere else on the continent. But what it does is it keeps the clan elders happy. And the clan elders are the most powerful in Somalia. If the president comes from a certain clan, the prime minister would have to come from another clan. The Speaker of Parliament would also come from another clan. 
the leader of the Senate would have to come from another club. So people might see a candidate who has a good CV, but the Somalis know the first thing that people would ask is what clan is he from? Of all Formaggio's promises, changing this indirect system was one of the biggest, both to Somalis and the international community. The Somali government is strongly committed to the state-building agenda, and we are making clear strides toward achieving inclusive politics, strengthening democracy, and constructing national institutions that are the pillars of strong societies. He had promised a one-person, one-vote system for the next election, scheduled to start in 2020, with a president selected by early 2021. He had four years to plan it, and the government did pass a law granting all Somalis the right to vote. And yet, that vote didn't happen. President Formaggi, until very recently, was saying that it was possible to hold one man, one vote in Somalia, a country that hasn't had census for many years. For more than 30 years, there's no census. Most Somalis knew this was not going to be possible because of the security situation in the country. Most of the rural areas in South and Central Somalia are firmly under Al-Shabaab control. It was impossible to do that in the space of four years. So in September, Somalia's leaders instead agreed to hold another indirect election, similar to the one that brought Farmajo into power. But because of that complicated system, they couldn't agree how the elections would proceed or which clan elders would get to vote. And so the vote hasn't happened. The political elite in Mogadishu at the moment, they are former vice presidents, former prime ministers, former ministers who are all trying to get a chance to lead the country again. Their best chance is if elections are held. But there hasn't been any consensus on when the election would happen. Then, on February 8th, Formaggio's term expired. In Somalia, opposition leaders have announced that they no longer recognize the current president, Mohamed Abdullahi Farmajo. With no deal in sight, opposition leaders fear President Mohamed Farmajo might request a term extension, a move lawmakers said they would reject. It is not written in the constitution that the president should act as a caretaker. It's only the parliament that is allowed to act as a caretaker. But Farmajo says he's staying on. The president said he's not going to have a power vacuum in the country, that he would leave office only when there is an elected leader. So at the moment, it's push and pull to see who would blink first. The opposition tried to pressure Formaggio to step down by declaring protests. They're demanding that a transitional leader bring Somalia to new elections. But the government said the opposition's protests wouldn't be allowed because of the pandemic. But before the position went out onto the streets in Mogadishu, pro-Farmaggio rallies were being held as if there was no pandemic. This was not well received by the opposition and the neutrals. They were saying Corona doesn't differentiate between who supports Farmaggio and who supports the opposition. And I think many people agreed with that. On February 19th, the opposition held a march despite the government ban. But almost as soon as opposition leaders began the march, a firefight broke out with government security forces. Barely had a protest march started near the airport when this happened. 
an intense firefight between government forces and pro-opposition fighters. Video showed civilians in face masks waving Somali flags, scattering as gunfire erupted. Opposition leaders claim that this was an assassination attempt. Government said militia have attacked their security checkpoint in the city, that they did not attack the hotel that the opposition leaders were staying. What this led to was the regional leaders saying that they did not feel safe coming to Mogadishu to meet the president that they would rather meet the president and the presidents of the international community. More protests were planned to try to pressure Formaggio to step down. But late on Thursday night last week, the opposition struck a last-minute deal with the government to postpone the protests and avert more violence. But in that meeting, no date for a new election was set. Why is President Formaggio doing this, do you think? especially since he was hailed as a person who was going to stop corruption, come in and change things and be the fresh leader that people wanted. So President Formaggio knows that history is not on his side in terms of Somali elections. No Somali president has ever won re-election and it's not the public voting. So it's the clan elders and there is no guarantee that they would back him this time around. So there is nothing that says that he would win. Where is Al-Shabaab in all of this? They're often the headline in stories about Somalia, but here they seem to be in the background. So with all these things happening, Al-Shabaab are the only winners, it appears, from all this. If you watch candidates who were seeking the presidency, one of the first things that they talked about was the security situation and Al-Shabaab. Now, if you look at the speeches given by the regional leaders, by the president, by the opposition, all they talk about is election and pointing fingers at each other. What everybody is worried is Al-Shabaab would take full advantage of the security situation. Al-Shabaab controls all these rural parts. And now they can go around and market themselves as the alternative to ordinary Somalis who live in rural areas, who maybe are on the fence and are not sure who to back. So Al-Shabaab is completely out of the discussion and it appears that they would take full advantage of the situation. Finally, I want to talk about how this crisis looks in Somalia. Many of these politicians have two or three passports. They're wealthy. They have lots of security. They're living an experience that's very removed from your everyday Somali citizen. So how much does this political crisis matter to people and affect their lives? An interesting question, because Somalia's political elite, their immediate families often live abroad away from the consequences of the decisions that they are making. In Mogadishu or in these regional cities, they drive around in bulletproof cars, surrounded by security guards who often are extended family relatives from the same clan. If they lose the election, they can go back to where they came from. The average Somali knows that these individuals are not fully committed to the process, to the country. Hamza says this crisis is far from the worst that most Somalis have seen. And they keep that in perspective. Most Somalis are worried about the pandemic. They are worried about how they would put food on their table. They care less about what the president, the opposition and regional leaders are are planning on doing. If the government doesn't provide you security, if the government doesn't provide you healthcare, you tend not to worry about the decisions that the Minister of Health or the Minister of Security 
might say. They also know that no matter what the political elite say, Somalia would not go back to the full-blown civil war of 1991, when there was an open warfare on the streets of Mogadishu. Most of these people who are now seeking the top seat, they have Western passports. They are not ready to get their hands dirty, like the former warlords that we've seen beforehand. And I think that is what's giving most people, most of us Somalis, a peace of mind. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Priyanka Tilbe, Nagin Oliai, Dina Kispe, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tim St. Clair mixed this episode. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is the executive producer of The Take. We'll be back on Wednesday.